Okay, so a couple little housekeeping things. I am a teacher. I teach math and science. So I'm used to having a captive audience that can't run away when I'm talking. So it works out pretty good. Uh, I'm used to pre or teaching until the bell. So whenever the bell happens to come is when we'll end. I, <laughs> um, there's a lot of scripture in here. So I'm going to do quite a bit of reading. And I'm not trying to take anything out of context. There's, we're going to pick up bits and pieces as we go through, and I don't want to, I did not intentionally take anything out of context, but I had to cut passages shorter just to make it through all the points. So you might need to go back through and reread full chapters or reread full books just to make sure that we're all on the same page. <sighs> okay, so when I was in college, my speech teacher, I love telling this story. She came up to me after one of my speeches and said, I love your voice. It makes me feel so calm and relaxed and comfortable and just kind of lulls me right to sleep. <laughs> okay, so with that in mind, I'm going to start off with one of the exciting parts of the Bible. It, the theme of today is, do you exist? And I'm not going into like a existential, like, are we all actually here or anything like that, but more of what is our purpose in life? What, what do we do with our life? Is it to just exist? Now, with the exciting parts, Genesis 5. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created the male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day they were created. And Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness. After his image and named him Seth. After he begot Seth, the days of Adam were 800 years and he had sons and daughters. So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he died. Seth lived 105 years and begot Enosh. After he begot Enosh, Seth lived 807 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. Enosh lived 90 years and begat Canaan. After he begat Canaan, Enosh lived 815 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. Canaan lived 70 years and begat Mahalalel. After he begat Mahalalel, Canaan lived 840 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Canaan were 910 years, and he died. Mahalalel lived 65 years and begot Jared. So after he begot Jared, Mahalalel lived 835 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. Okay, is everybody still awake? Okay, so this is one of those parts that really isn't that interesting on the surface. When you're reading this as you're going through your Bible in the year or just reading through, it's like, wow, that is super exciting. Or maybe not. There's a lot of really cool Bible stories out there. But these guys lived for almost a millennia. They were closing in on a thousand years for a lot of them. And what do we know about them? What do we know that they accomplished as they went through their lives? They had sons and daughters and they died. The first European settlers, Columbus, in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. 
So you're 600 years ago that Columbus was here. These guys could have been 300 years old at that point already. And what do we know? Well, maybe they caught the biggest fish ever, or maybe they built up riches. Over the course of a thousand years, I would assume that they built up some riches, but we don't really know. When God's telling this story, basically he tells us they existed. How long they existed, who their kids were, but we're not really hearing about their accomplishments. So let me continue because our genealogies aren't over. <clears throat> Jared lived 162 years and begot Enoch. After he begot Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and sons, had sons and daughters. So all the days of Jared were 962 years and he died. Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years. He had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Methuselah lived 887 years, or sorry, 187 years and begot Lamech. After he begot Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. Lamech lived 182 years and had a son. He called his son, or he called his name Noah, saying, This one will comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands, because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. After he begot Noah, Lamech lived 595 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. And Noah was 500 years old, and, God be, and Noah begot Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And then I'm going to skip to Genesis 6-9. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was just a man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God, and Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Okay, so that's the longest passage that I'm going to be reading. But, <laughs> whew. Okay, so you guys are probably falling asleep, and I get it. But... Again, let's just take a second and think about what this says. It says that over the course of going on a thousand years, there wasn't much in God's eyes that was worth noting, that was worth passing on. We know Methuselah lived almost a thousand years and nothing else about him. What do we do in God's eyes that are worth noting? Well, there's a couple of exceptions here. A couple of guys that it says something special about. It says, Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. All the days of Enoch were 365 years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. And then it says, Noah was just a man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. So when it comes down to it, when God is writing the story of your life, there's really one thing that's important. One thing that's really worth noting in this genealogy is you walked with God, or you didn't. So we can exist when God's writing a story about me, because really it's God's story that matters, right? What's he going to say? So, well, there might be other people than God that's important, right? Okay, can you guys think of a story about your great-grandparents? 
How about your great-great-grandparents? How many generations back do you have to be before even your descendants don't know anything about you? Not trying to be depressing, but in reality, you've got a creator who does know everything about you, who's going to spend eternity with you if you walk with him, if you are devoted to him, if you have given your heart to Jesus, you will spend eternity with him. What you pass on to your kids, what you work hard for, I am the best teacher in, on the planet. Well, maybe Methuselah is too. I don't know, because God didn't find it worth noting. What we know is that he existed. We know that there are a couple people who it noted walked with God. When God said there's something special about them, what was special about them was that they walked with God. So, the question is, do you exist or do you walk with God? So, this was a hard thing for me to put together because I'm not positive that I do walk with God. There's a lot of, a lot of thinking, a lot of, yes, I believe that I'm going to heaven. I know that I have accepted Christ into my heart, but do I walk with God daily? Am I, do I show up on Sundays? Is that my walk with God? Is Yeah, I'll see you next Sunday. The way that I treat people around me, is that walking with God or is that just I exist? So, I am speaking about a lot of this from a personal level that there's definitely room for improvement. I could have a closer walk with God at a minimum because God has a pretty high standard for us. Beyond just accepting us as his own, we then need to build a relationship with him. We need to walk daily with God, not just exist. So, how do we know? John 15, 5 through 8. Yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. Okay, so that's easy. If I'm going to remain in Christ, I need to produce fruit. Well, we all know the fruit of the Spirit. That's not so bad. So, Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I can do that. So love. I love my family. I, I take care of other people. I'm a pretty good person. I can do that. Joy. When things go right, I'm happy. So I'd say that I've got joy. I'd check. Peace. Yeah, I'm at peace when there's not something on my mind. It, I never lay in bed at night and think about that stupid thing I did when I was in third grade. Well, sometimes I do, I guess. <laughs> but for the most part, I'm, I'm at peace. Patience. I am one of the most patient teachers you'll ever meet. I'll give three or four tries before I have had my fill. It, the, that's actually one of my strengths when I'm teaching is I am a very patient person. It, 
I've got four boys, you have to be patient. I mean, I hardly ever yell at them before 9 a.m. Wait. <laughs> Except for the days that I do. Uh, kindness. I'm kind. I help out other people. When it's convenient, I'm more than willing to give you a hand. Goodness. Yeah, I'm a good guy. I do good things for people sometimes. Faithfulness. Yeah, I'm faithful to my wife. I believe in God, and I don't do things God doesn't want me to, except for when I do. Uh, gentleness. I'm a gentle guy. I, I'm pretty decent. I hardly ever lose control. And self-control. Um, maybe we'll skip that one. The whole, diet, the whole diet thing might not be my strength. But So if we're walking with Christ, if we've got a relationship with Christ, we should be bearing these fruit. And we check the list. So I'm good, right? Okay, so let's talk about love. So I know that Pastor Norm went through the fruit of the Spirit a couple weeks ago, and I think that this is one of those things that we can't hear often enough. Okay, this is something that we need to be building. We need to be striving for in our lives. So I'm not trying to redo what he already did, but we need to redo everything over and over again. So just a little bit different look at the fruits than the way that We've seen it recently. So, Matthew 22, 37 through 40. Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. So when love is one of our fruit, is this first part of this even something I feel like I can measure up to? Do I love the Lord my God with all my heart, my soul, and my mind? Is this something that I need to be striving for if I want to do more than exist? Because I don't know as I can say that this is my, one of my sole passions, one of my things that God is in every part of my life. When my boys are acting up and I'm getting angry, I don't know as though God is in that, in my response to that. Okay, a second and equally important, love your neighbors yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commands. So if I'm talking about the fruit of the Spirit, and I want to say, okay, this is a fruit that God is showing in me. I am checking my box. Just this first part, I don't know. Do I truly love my neighbor as myself? Every time that I see somebody else interact with somebody else, do I treat them like I would want to be treated? Do I treat them like I would want to treat myself? Okay. Now, let's take it another step farther. Luke 6, 27. But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. So I'm pretty good at loving my family, loving people that I like. But can I say that I love my enemies? Did Christ... Did Christ love his enemies? That's the standard we've been held to, right? Not to get to heaven. I'm, I want to stress that we are not like, hey, if I don't have all this, I don't get into heaven. But if I am truly walking with God daily, I should be seeing some of these fruits. That person who offended me 15 years ago, do I love them? Okay, that person who I 
don't see political views with. Do I get angry at them? Do I want to run their car off the road? Maybe. Okay, is that loving them? Is that doing the things that... So when you see somebody with that bumper sticker you don't like, is your first instinct saying, hey, I'll pay for their meal? Okay, would Christ have? Did Christ die for people who didn't have the same views as him? Okay, so are we going to be the same as Christ? Well, we should be striving for it. Okay, joy. So Psalm 30, 11 through 12. Uh, so you have turned my morning and joyful dancing. Oh, sorry, let me advance this. You have taken away my clothes of mourning and clothed me with joy, that I might sing praises to you and not be silent. O oh Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. So when I said I've got joy when things are going my way, Christ turns mourning to joyful dancing. If I truly have God's joy in my life, he's going to take care of it. Not when things are going my way, but he's going to take it when things aren't going my way and turn it into joy. Am I there? Do I walk with God closely enough that this is a normal part of my life? Probably not. When I'm having a bad day, I have a hard time being happy, having any form of joy. So can we take it a step further? A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them to be stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten and then thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them in the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. To me, it sounds like Paul and Silas had a relationship, had joy. When I ask for no onions on my burger, and they put onions on my burger, and I bite into that first crunchy... I like cooked onions just fine. Raw onions, I just can't do it. I'm not a joyful person. I do not like biting into that. It's just rough, isn't it? It's just rough when they put onions on your burger and you ask for it without. Almost as bad as being stripped, beaten, and locked in prison. Depends on the kind of onion, to be honest with you. But, okay, so if Christ is with me, can I have joy for the fact that I've got food to eat? Okay, can I have joy in the fact that I've got a family and I've got money and I've got things to provide for me? Instead, I focus on that nasty onion. Okay, it, Paul and Silas didn't. They walked with God. Okay, they had joy even when Things weren't going their way. I don't think I'm to that level yet. Okay. Peace. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus as you live in Christ Jesus. Am I at peace about things? 
let's be honest, the world kind of stresses me out. When the wrong politician gets elected, that stresses me out. Okay, when my truck starts to make that kind of funky noise, yeah, that, that stresses me out. Okay, am I really at peace? Like I said, I can still worry about something from third grade that I said that nobody else remembers. Am I truly at peace? Now, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Is my response to be stressed out and like, oh, that's probably a joint, and I bet the truck's going to fall apart as I'm going down the road, and, or is it to talk to God, to pray? Do I walk with God enough that my first instinct is to reach out and grab his hand as I'm walking with him, or is it to see what I can solve myself or to be stressed out about it? Because if I'm truly walking with God, that should be my first instinct, right? Now, Romans 12, 18, do all you can to live in peace with everyone. My mom is looking at me right now. She knows that I like to pick, and I, I do it in good nature most of the time. Okay, do I actually walk in peace with everyone? Do I do all that I can? Yeah, let's, let's keep moving. <laughs> okay, patience. So Matthew 18, 21 and 22. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times. Now I'm with Peter. Okay, seven times is more than enough. I am being excessively patient if I have to forgive somebody seven times for something. And is that the standard that God holds us to? If we are walking with God, if we are showing God's fruits, is seven times the kind of patience that God expects from us? Not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Now I'm a math major, so to get into the, the math of this, 70 times seven is bigger than seven. Okay. So if we are truly patient, if this is one of the fruits that's walking with us, when the boys go, mom, 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 hey, mom, mom. Now, I tend to lose patience on two sides. Like, honey, I think he wants you. Please make it stop. <laughs> so not only am I not patient with my obnoxious child, it's also my wife who, like, is ignoring them. That... So <laughs> then again, that whole 7 times 70, I'm sure we could reach that many moms on a single road trip. So I might actually beat that threshold. Okay, are we truly this level of patient? Are we the walk with God, and when we start to get frustrated, we can reach out and grab his hand, and he's going to give us peace, and he's going to help us to be patient? Or are we the level of patience where, eh, you count your strikes and you're done? Is that a walk with God level of patience, or is that a, hey, I think I'm a patient for what I can do myself kind of patience? So... If you hadn't noticed, I'm kind of striking out here. I don't know. Maybe you guys are much more mature in your walk with God than I am. 
I've been going to church and been a Christian for as long as I can remember. My parents brought me to church right from the time I was young, and I never remember there being a time when I didn't believe in God. I didn't believe that Jesus had died for me. Does that mean I've walked with God for my entire life? Well, if I have, I'm not very mature in my walk. Time doesn't make that relationship. Just existing, just having been there, having put in your enough hours, we found that Methuselah, he put in his hours, right? How many hours are there in almost a thousand years? There's a lot of hours. Does that mean that he walked with God? Well, God didn't say that he did. He didn't say he didn't, but it was not specifically listed that he did, like he did with the others. I will want God to, at the end, say, hey, and he walked with God. <sighs> Kindness. Matthew 25, 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Now, we know that this is part of a larger story, right? This is a bigger piece of this but just thinking about this list, can we honestly feel like we've done the best that we could at all of these? I especially kind of got hit hard with the, I was in prison, you visited me. Because I've never gone to a prison to visit people. Never gone to the prison to share God's word. Prisons are full of sinners. I don't know if that's the sort of people I should hang out with. I mean, Jesus wouldn't have spent time with sinners, would he? Okay, but beyond that, just every opportunity that we have for kindness, this is not an exhaustive list. And we think, hey, this isn't bad stuff. This isn't hard stuff to do. Do we look for opportunities to be kind? Do we look for opportunities to take care of other people? I mean, this seems like pretty straightforward stuff. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. Do we see people in need and reach out and take care of them? Do we give rides to people to get them where they need to be? Is it really that inconvenient for me as much as it would be a huge blessing to them? Are there opportunities in our lives to show kindness that we don't? If you were walking with God, walking hand in hand, would he lead you over to people that you could be kind to? Are there opportunities when I kind of pull one way and he pulls the other? It's probably because I'm right, because, you know, God couldn't be right. If we're walking with God, these are fruits that we will bear. These are things that will come out of us that we will see. If we are thinking and we think, well, when was I ever given this opportunity? I think there's probably opportunities out there and I'm missing them. Goodness, this one should be easy. I'm a good guy. 2 Thessalonians 1.11 So we keep on praying for you, asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. 
He may give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. Then the name of our Lord Jesus will be honored because of the way you live, and you will be honored along with him. This is all made possible because of the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. Do we do all good things? Is everything that I do good? It says, he may give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. Do I do all the good things that my faith prompts me to do? If God was walking with me, if he was watching me, are there opportunities I miss? Are there times when not just like I ignore it, but like I intentionally ignore it? Do I feel like I truly have goodness as one of the fruits that I'm fully bearing like I would if I was walking with God? Faithfulness. John 18, 25 through 26. Meanwhile, as Simon Peter was standing by the fire warming himself, they asked him again, you're not the one of his disciples, are you? He denied it, saying, no, I am not. But one of the household slaves and the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, didn't I see you out there in the olive grove with Jesus? And again, Peter denied it, and immediately a rooster crowed. So these are the second and third times that he denied Christ. Can I honestly say I would do better? So Peter literally walked with Christ. We know Peter's resume. Do we ever feel that? Does anybody ever feel that, like, just normally? Like, it'd be a little bit socially awkward if I stepped up and did something? This wasn't a socially awkward situation. This was a, hey, they're going to kill him. What happens to me sort of situation? And we kind of judge Peter. But I'm probably not going to die if I stand up for the right thing. And do I still choose not to sometimes? If God was holding my hand, would he walk me through this? If I was walking with God, or do I just kind of exist there? I stand there, and I exist, and I keep my mouth shut. So let's take this a step farther. Revelation 13.10. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity they will go. If anyone is to be killed with a sword, with a sword they will be killed. This calls for the patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. So we're talking Revelation, and Revelation scares me. There's a lot about the book of Revelation that scares me. A lot of things that are happening. But when it comes down to it, if I was in this situation, if we are going through tribulation, would I stand up and do the right thing? I don't know if I'm the only one who can think of situations where I didn't stand up for the right thing without this captivity and this being killed by the sword situation is going on. (sighs) Gentleness. That sounds a little bit more kind, right? My father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the son except the father, and no one truly knows the Father except the Son, and those whom the Son chooses to reveal him. To reveal him. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all you are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you 
Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That sounds awesome. I really like that. Just laying everything on Jesus. That's our job, right? So Jesus is humble and gentle at heart. Do I lay everything to Jesus so I can be like him? Does, do all of my troubles get laid on Jesus? Or do I handle them myself? If I'm struggling with all my struggles on my own, handling myself, does that seem like a good step towards gentleness? We know that Jesus is gentle, and he's going to take care of things and help us to be like him. But I've got to lay things on him. I like to be self-sufficient. I'm a smart guy. I'm good at fixing things. I'm good at fixing my own problems. Doing everything for myself and struggling through things isn't what we're called to do. You guys starting to feel why I felt bad about myself for the last month while I was trying to build towards this? Okay. Like I said, self-control is one kind that uh, I knew that my diet already strikes me out before I ever get started. But this is the last fruit that is listed here. So Matthew 5, 27 through 30. You have heard the commandment that says, you must not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for, for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Do I have this level of self-control? I can't pass up on a can of Mountain Dew. Okay, if there's donuts sitting in front of me, they won't be for very long. Okay, so when you're walking and they've got all the magazines set up at checkout, do you think, man, I should gouge out my eyes because I shouldn't be looking at those things? Okay, do we have this level of self-control? So... I feel like I do okay with some things, but I'm probably not there yet. So go back to our driving question. Do you exist or do you walk with God? Now, I've been going through the fruits of the Spirit. These are things that if we are walking with God, we should start to see. Does that mean that we're going to have perfected these? Jesus doesn't love you if you're not everything the Bible says about each of the fruits. No. Jesus loved us as sinners. Jesus died for us. He gave us the opportunity to walk with him. Because in my own stink, in my own filth, in my own sin, God wouldn't want to walk with me. You guys wouldn't want to walk with me. Have I improved? Am I walking with God to where you're starting to see these fruits of having walked with him daily? Reading my Bible daily, praying daily. When I run into any of these situations, is do I reach out and for God? Do I pray? Do I read? Do I try to figure out what's right or wrong from God's word? Or do I just exist? Can I just keep living for another few hundred years and just 
kind of make it through life? Do I focus on things that aren't important? We know that these fruits, these are the things that if Christ is in us and we are walking with him, should be showing up in our lives. And if instead I'm focusing on whatever's important to me at the moment, those are things that God doesn't write down. He wrote down that you lived or you walked with him. So do you exist or do you walk with God? Kind of seems like a lot to hold yourself up to, doesn't it? Like being compared to a perfect God. That's a high standard. We can be washed clean though, right? We have a fresh chance. We can start over. Every time we mess up, we can start over. We can walk with God. God is there for us. The walk with God thing, that's not a failure on God's part. That's a failure on our part. God is always there. God is constant. And we choose whether we want to walk with him or not. If we're walking with him, you'll be able to tell because you'll be able to see these fruits in your life. So, I'm going to take a little bit of a swing. So, my older two sons were in school last year. And they're both really good at math. Well, yeah, they probably should be, right? Yeah. Their mom was a 4.0 student. She got an A in calculus three times. <laughs> it, their dad's a math teacher. Yeah, should be good at math. It, track and field day at school. David and Ben both came in first in their sprints. Well, their mom has five All-State trophies for track. Yeah, they've got the pedigree. They should be there, right? They should be getting first place in that. If you've got the right pedigree, you've got the right DNA, you've got the right things coming down to you, you should be doing pretty good. So, this is Arch Manning. They're already talking about him. He's a sophomore in high school. He's 15 years old. And they're talking about what colleges are recruiting him and what things are going to happen for him. Well, why? I mean, he's a good football player. His grandpa was a professional football player. His uncles are professional football players. Okay, having like Peyton and Eli Manning as your uncles and Archie Manning as your grandpa, that's a pretty good pedigree. Okay, is he gonna be good at football? He's got a better shot than most of us, right? Okay, so we expect great things. We expect better things out of people who've got the right pedigree. They've got the right things in their from their fathers, from their previous generations. That's what we expect, right? So how about us? We've got a pretty high standard. We are literally talking about walking with God. What gives us the right to walk with God? What do we have in our past? What do we have that lets us walk with God? So our pedigree. So you have not received the spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Sorry, as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. 
So we are God's children. Okay, having famous uncles, having a famous grandpa, having that athletic whatever gives you a decent chance of being a good athlete, what does it happen if you are God's children? Okay, we are joint heirs with Christ. What better pedigree could you ever hope for with walking with God than that? Okay, so am I perfect? Do I check off? Can I say, okay, all these fruits are clearly in my life. I'm walking with God daily. No, I'm not there yet. But I've got a father who is there for me. Okay, Christ died so that I could be an heir to the father. Okay, I've got the ability to strive for this. So, again, who is the father? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It doesn't get much more clear than that. Okay, he literally created the heavens and the earth. All this exists because my father made it. Okay, it doesn't get much more clear pedigree than that. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. The Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He's the author of life, the lion of the tribe of Judah, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. So, do we want to exist or do we want to walk with God? Sarah, could you come up? We've got the pedigree. We've got the right. Christ died for that right to make us a child of God, to make it so we can walk with God daily. Years won't get us there. Having just existed for a certain number of years, having, I believed in God 30 years ago, I accepted Jesus 30 years ago, years doesn't build your relationship, doesn't build your walk with God. Okay, the fruit are an indicator of whether you are actually walking with God. So, I guess the big question is, do you want to exist or walk with God? <sighs> what does it take to walk with God? He left his word for us. If we aren't reading his word, learning about our Father, learning about what he left for us to know, then we probably aren't walking with God. If we aren't talking to God, then we probably aren't walking with God. Okay, if a prayer life, a relationship, having a conversation with your father isn't part of your life, then you're probably not there. So how do you fix that? Talk to him. God is there to walk with you. Are you there to walk with him? Okay, he's there. Take the step out and talk to him. Read about him. Read his word. With the fruit, we can see the things that God wants us to do. We can see what we should be striving for, what should be coming out of us. As we build our relationship with him, we should be striving for those things. We should be walking and working towards being the perfect version of all those. God loves you. He died for you. He is there for you. So, I think instead of doing... Uh, an altar call. I'm on just kind of an open invitation to think about this. Do you want to exist or do you want to walk with God? I've spent a while thinking about this sermon and 
decided that I do just kind of exist. I've got the perfect pedigree. I've got the perfect father, and I'm not content with just existing. Are you? So as you go through this week, as we go through this time, let's pray, let's read, let's work towards that relationship and make a commitment that existing isn't good enough. Okay, we should have a true relationship. And if we aren't seeing this, the fruits, then we probably aren't where we think we need to be. Okay, I'm going to close in prayer. And as we go on our ways, we've got things to think about. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for what you've given us. Thank you for the gift of your Son that allows us to have a relationship with you. Thank you for the chance to be with you and to walk with you and to show signs of having held your hand and gone where you lead us. Please guide us as we go through this week and guide us as we continue to build our relationship with you and help us to just have that commitment to make your decisions and to do what you want us to do. Just touch our hearts and touch our minds and help us to strive daily for this. In Jesus' name, amen.